I'm teaching this message because I want to make sure we get this verse down, John 3.16. This is the only message to worldwide freedom. And I am most grateful, as Bill said, I am most grateful that there are men and women that are fighting for our freedom right now. And I do love our land. I love this country, but I don't worship this country. I worship Jesus. Um, there are some people that forget about worshiping Jesus, but they worship the country, and they've got it backwards. So we worship Jesus. We honor those men and women who fight for our freedom. And we're grateful for our founding fathers and all that they have done. But we're not a nation that's very free today, and I'm going to share with you why, because there's only one message to freedom. It doesn't originate with man, it originates with God. And so, John, you know this verse, it's John 3.16. I'm going to back up a little bit on this train and do verse 14, 15, and 16, and let's see if this message is not a worldwide message to freedom that only Jesus can bring to people and set them free. Here's what John says. Here's the text, John 3, starting in 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we'll talk about that, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, that's before 16. That's the context. Now 16. For God so loved the world. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have lasting life. You probably have heard this story, but there's a guy by the name of John Pemberton. He was a Civil War veteran in the 1900s. And when he came back and uh, he lived in Georgia, he began to concoct with syrup this drink with different ingredients. He began to concoct a drink in his backyard in Georgia. He, he, he was so successful that he went down to Jacob's Pharmacy and he sold nine glasses a day for five cents a day and that was 45 cents a day. He did that for two years. The problem was he had to split the profits with Jacob's Pharmacy, so you can add that up. And what happened to him is as he had a tremendous drink and a tremendous product, Somebody came along and saw something in that product that John did not see in himself. And so it wasn't but a few years later, John Pemberton sold the rights of Coca-Cola for $2,300. Listen to me. Coke is worldwide. You can go to places that don't have internet, but you can get a Coke. Do you understand if Coke was the gospel, we would be through? Because it has penetrated every culture. It has penetrated every nation. You can go anywhere in the world today. You can go to the Atlanta Museum of Coke, and they'll tell you how many billions, uh, millions, how many billions of Cokes are served in one day. So here's what we have to understand. That the message that we have that needs to go worldwide is John 3.16. The message that can only bring freedom to people who are in bondage. And so John, in John chapter 3, we're talking about Jesus and we're talking about Nicodemus. And let me give you a little bit of the context in Nicodemus. There's, there's two you must in this text. The first you must is in verse 7. Uh, Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must, must be born again. The second must is in verse 15, he said, in verse 14, he said, and the Son of Man must be lifted up. 
Put those in your back pocket. We'll come back to those. But let's look at the text of what it says in John 3.16. Let's just take this verse and look at the message to worldwide freedom. The reason that we sent people to Asia and they've made it back here on the U.S. territory is so that we can take not Coke to Asia, so we can take the gospel to Asia. And the reason that we want to take the gospel to Asia and to Houston, across the aisle, across the street, and around the world, is it's the only message that brings freedom. And it originates with God. Look at the text, verse 16. For God. Stop right there. The word for is a conjunction that ties in what he said in verse 15. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God. See, this message of salvation, this message of freedom that the world needs to hear originates with God and not with man. Now listen very carefully. If you turn on the television and I'm about to get rid of mine, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get rid of it. Either the Astros, I'm going to throw something, or it's going to be the politicians. I'm going to kill somebody. But you have all these promises. You have all these politicians and all these men that say, if you will vote for me and women, if you'll vote for me, that I'll bring hope to America. I'll bring the message of freedom. I'll bring the message that liberates this country and this world. But I've got news for you. The scripture that was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit said the message that you're bringing to me is not a message of freedom. The only message of freedom did not originate with a politician Republican or Democrat, to be fair, it originated with God himself, for God. So it should be that we could look to God who created us with the need for him and he made us in his image. It would be today that somebody would say, "You wait a minute, I've been looking for people to bring me freedom, but I'm going to shift my attention today and look to the God who made me because this message of for God that loves me with an everlasting love originated from him and not from man. So we need to tune out all this other information. It's kind of like when I lived in Tennessee, I lived right next to the airport. When we first bought the house, I was like, oh, I didn't realize we lived next to the airport, but every time a plane would take off, I realized we lived next to the airport. But what I learned to do over the years in that same house is I didn't even hear the airplanes because somehow in my mind, I began to tune that message of that plane out. And I had lived there so long that I had tuned out that message and I was hearing the message that I wanted to hear. And that's what we need to do as a church, as a society, as individuals. We need to tune out the message that brings people under bondage and puts them under slavery. But we need to be tuned in to the message that says, for God, for God. This message did not originate with us. It originated with God. Now, that is the origin of the message. Look at the next part of the text. For God so loved the world. That's the object of the message. He so loved. Not that he loved. The word so, this little uh, S-O here means that there's no word uh, that translators could take to really put in perspective the love of God. He didn't just love the world. He so loved the world. So when you think of God's love for you, and I think of God's love for me. You can't think of God's love as a straight line because he so loved. His love is so much bigger and so much better than you can ever think of this morning. Do you know that there are people who know you, they know you, and they don't love you? Seriously. But see, here's the thing about God's love. He knows you and he loves you. Isn't that amazing? 
He does. That's how great the love of God is. So the object of the message is he so loved the world. So it's not a love on a straight line. That's what a lot of people think. That's not what the word love here means. It's an agape love. God chooses to love me and I am the object of his love. And the reason that God chooses to love me is he thinks more about me than he does himself. And when he thinks more about me than he does himself, he sent his son Jesus to show me how much he loves me. God so loved the world. He knew me and he loved me anyway. And I want to say to someone this morning, you may be here, you may be watching by internet, that God so loves you. He just doesn't love you. He loves you with an everlasting love. That's what God's word says. So he just doesn't love you with a straight line love. He loves you with an angular love. He loves you when you veer off the path. He loves you when you go this way, when you should go this way. His love just hounds you out. And he loves you with an angular love because the object of his love is me. And he chooses to love me in spite of me, in spite of what I've done. Some of you are here this morning and you're in sin. You're in bondage. You're not living in freedom. And you're thinking because of what you've done. God can't really love you because you have gotten off the path. You have moved off course. Can I tell you something? You can't run far enough and fast enough away from God's love. He is everywhere. And he pursues you. And he cares about you. And he loves me. And he loves you. And he's the ultimate healer. And he will stay after you. What you can do today is let him tackle you. Let him hound you to the point where he snatches you and rescues you out of your sin so that you can quit trying to run from him and turn and run to him. And when you run to him, instead of running from him, by the way, you can't run fast enough and you can't run far enough. But if you'll turn and repent and say, God, you so love me and I want to respond and bow before you in this great love, you can have new life today. And you can be baptized at the cross tonight not because baptism saves you, because it doesn't. Jesus saves you. Baptism is just symbolic that you're saved. This, that's all this wedding ring. I'm still married. You just don't know it. I put this ring on. It lets everybody know I'm not ashamed that I'm married. So think about this. You're married to Jesus because Jesus loves you so much that you're going to have an eternal heaven with him. Freeman, do you believe in an actual heaven? I absolutely do, because the Bible does. Do you believe in an actual hell? I absolutely do. I believe if you reject Jesus Christ based on the scripture, you'll spend eternity separated from him. And it's not because he didn't love you, you chose to reject that love. For God, look at the text, so loved the world. Oh, I, th I think about David Platt, and I think about how he, uh, in his book Radical, which is an old book, he was talking to a Muslim and a Buddhist, and they were talking about God's love. And he had this conversation, and they were describing the love like this, that we all believe in the same God, basically. It, we just take different paths to get up the mountain. And so David Platt said, well, so if I understand what you're saying to me, that your God loves me, and I'm telling you my God loves me, and you're saying that all gods are at the top of the mountain. And David Platt kind of went with it, and he, he told this in his book, he said, but I want to tell you about a God who came down from the mountain. See, your God, you have to do good works to get to your God. 
You have to do things in order to receive and have him respond to you in love. But our God didn't stay at the top of the mountain. Our God left heaven, Jesus Christ, the humiliation. Jesus came down, he left glory because he's a God who came down out of the mountain because God the Father, the object of the love is Jesus and us, and he had a plan for Jesus to leave glory and come down to this earth because he so loved the world. So I'm talking to you about a God today who left the top of the mountain and came down and became uh, 100% God, 100% man. He came and he faced sin on this earth and he did it without any temptation whatsoever. He didn't give in to temptation. John says there was nothing in him that could be drawn out. So the perfect, sinless son of God so loved the world that he came down. He came down. He wants to rescue you from your sin. He wants to save us. He loves us with an angular love, not a single line love like most people think. Now, notice what the text says. You have the origin of the message for God. The object of the message, he so loved the world. The offer of the message, he gave, look at the text, his one and only son. That's what the text says. So what God did was he gifted his one and only son uniquely his son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, all God, all man at the same time. God had a plan and he gave his son. He gifted his son to the world. That's the message of freedom. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful right now that men and women, actually, you know this, they're fighting for our freedom as we're worshiping in this arena today. In this worship service, people are fighting for our freedom. But understand this, God gifted his son. God gave his son over. Who killed Jesus? If you think about it, God did. Because God allowed Jesus. God is the one. You say the Romans did. The Jewish leaders did. Actually, there's some truth in that. But if you really want to bottom line it, the Bible says that Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I choose to lay it down. Jesus willingly gave himself for you. But if you want to look at it, God said, hey, my son is a gift. I'm grateful for the men and women who are giving me the gift of freedom as I speak right now. But I don't worship them. I worship God who gave his only begotten son. That's what the text says. He gave his one and only, his only begotten son. Now, in the life of Nicodemus, who Jesus was talking to, let me tell you something about what would be happening in Judaism and in Jewish culture here. There would be, first of all, there's some ruling bodies. Number one, there would be the scribes. The scribes would be the ones that would write the law. They would transcribe. They would write the law. They would pass the law down. So they would be what was called scribes. That's not what Nicodemus was. Then we had a group called the Sadducees. This will make this verse come alive to you. The Sadducees. They, they didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. So when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, they didn't believe that. And they were sad, you see. Just seeing if you're with me. <laughs> Stay with me, Fred. Stay with me. So that's not what Nicodemus was either. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were like the religious churchgoers. They were the ones that went to church. 
They were the ones that took the law that was transcribed and written, and they were the ones that had a law for every little thing. There was like a thousand laws. They would make up laws just so they could put somebody under the law. They were the Pharisees. They were the experts at the law. They were churchgoers. They were religionists. Do you understand the gospel comes to religious people and can set them free? This gospel came to Nicodemus. He was a religious person. And all of a sudden, Nicodemus, who came at night, is now Nicodemus, who's coming to the light because Jesus is revealing himself. And God says, he gave his one and only son, only begotten son, monogeneus. It means the exact replica of God. That's what it means, the only begotten son. See, a lot of cults say they believe in Jesus, and they do. You talk to them, they'll say, oh, I believe in Jesus. But they don't believe in the only begotten Son of God. Nail them on that. That's the truth. They don't. Because the only begotten Son of God is the sinless Savior, and it's God's gift. God gifted his Son to us. He gave us a gift. Now, lights would go off in Nicodemus' mind as the writer here, as John saying, he gave his one and only son because lights would go off because he remembered Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was called to give his one and only son. So Nicodemus is paying attention here. God's at work here because God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, to go up onto the mountain and worship. In order to go up to the mountain and worship, you have to have fire, you have to have wood, and you have to have a pot. So Abraham, Isaac, would be going up to, up to the mountain to worship. It's the law of first mention of worship. So you can see Isaac, and you would think, Isaac, he's just a little baby, and a lot of those pictures of him being a little baby, he wasn't a little baby. He was a teenager, so that's, uh, that's good art, but it's bad theology. So the idea was, here goes Isaac and Abraham knowing that he's going up to sacrifice his only son. Isaac doesn't know that, so they get to the top of the mountain. And he probably looks at his daddy and says, we have wood, we have fire, we have a pot. We have wood, we have fire, we have a pot. Where is the lamb, daddy? Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? And down the corridors of time, you can see John the Baptist going, yonder, there is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you see the picture here? Nicodemus would know that story. And so when God says that he gave his one and only son, that means there's only one Savior who can take away the sins of the world. It's the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. And John the Baptist said, there he is, here he comes, the only one that's worthy. And so this picture would be in the minds of the readers in this passage. So the offer of this message is that he gave his one and only son. He gifted, God gifted Jesus Christ to us. And all we have to do with the gift is receive it by faith. You can come to this church all you want. This church cannot save you. No person can save you. No baptism can save you. No class can save you. Only Jesus can save you, and God gifted him to us. So all you have to do in response to the gift that's been gifted is grab hold of the gift, bow before him. You'll bow now. You can bow now or you'll bow later, but you will bow. He's God. But it's the gift of salvation. It's having all of your sins washed away. I mean, I've got a past. I was at Dobie. I was a rebel. Some of my teachers are in here. They knew me. 
I told God if he'd ever give me opportunity to make it right with people, I would. And lo and behold, have I had an opportunity. <laughs> but let me tell you what. One of the evidence is of a Christian is you're willing to make it right with people who you can make it right with. That's the evidence. I've been forgiven, so why would I hold somebody else under my thumb? I just say, hey, I'm sorry. By the grace of God, I am what I am. He gave his one and only son. Look at the opportunity of the message. The opportunity of the message is this, whosoever, whosoever. Now, the only way that you're not a whosoever this morning is if you're from another world. But if you're from this world and you're not from another planet and you're not an alien, but you're from this world and you're living on this planet, then you're a whosoever. I'm a whosoever guy. I'm, too, I'm not with the deep intellectual crowd that wants to debate this. I know what whosoever means. It means pos in the Greek. It means all people. If you are here this morning, you are the whosoever. God doesn't just love a select people over here. He loves the whole of the world. Whosoever lives in this world, every person he loves, every person he shed his blood. He didn't spill his blood. He shed his blood. There's a big difference. Divine human blood was shed on the cross. And whosoever... Whosoever will put their faith in him, that can be you today. You can trust him today. You can love him today. You can respond to the gift that he has gifted you with, and you can say, I'm a whosoever. Put your name in there. I'm a whosoever. God loves the whole world. So he's not talking about the mountains and the streams. That's the geography of the world. He's talking about the people of the world. Now listen carefully. You could also take this word world and talk about the world system. And the world system is a world that's against God. Think about this. God has so gifted his son. He's gifted his son and given his son Jesus into this world. And this world has said, thank you, but no thank you. I don't want the gift. In fact, it's dangerous if you pray in school in Jesus' name. They're saying you can't do that anymore. Oh, it's dangerous if you bring your Bible to school. Let me ask you something. Isn't America just a wonderful place to live these days since we've kicked God out of everything? You think about that. I wonder if it's going to take something to happen in our lives that we remember that our country was founded upon Judeo-Christian principles and the times when we have said, God, we don't want you, we are seeing what we uh, reap, we sow. What we sow, we are reaping today. You don't only reap what you sow, you reap way more than you sow. And we are reaping what we have sown and we're weeping, reaping way more than we've sown because we've told God... It's dangerous to pray in schools, and it's dangerous for kids to bring their Bible. But I'm going to tell you something. We stand on the truth of God's Word, and we believe it from totality to totality, and we will answer to God. So if they tell me I can't pray or I can't preach on this, I'm going to do it anyway because I am subject to a higher authority. And so are you. So the world, God loves everybody in the world, even those, think about this, He's still got an angular love for people that don't love him, that don't choose to respond back to him, that, that damn his name, he still pursues them and he still wants them to come into a love relationship with them because he loves them that much. That's how much God loves us, whosoever. Now, here's the text. Look at the obligation of the message. Believes in him. Whosoever, that's you, believes in him, not on him, this word in here is a word that means into him. That's what it means. You can believe in Shakespeare. You can believe in the person Shakespeare, that Shakespeare lived. 
That's believing in him or believing on him, but that's not believing into him. The, the, the idea of the word in here is the word into. Whoever believes into him, into a relationship. See, uh, Buddha can tell you how to chant, but you can't believe into Buddha. Jesus can tell you how to be saved, and you can believe and put your little faith into him, which becomes big faith. And when you put your little faith into his big faith, you now have big power because this into person that you believed in has saved you and put his life in you so that you can do what you could never do in your own strength. Believing into him. This is a mobile. This is a mobile, active faith. Look at the text. Whosoever believes into him. Not says a prayer, believes into him, immerses themselves into a love relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a mobile faith. It's an active faith. I have believed into my Savior. And because I believed into my Savior, he has reciprocated and his life has come to live in me. Wouldn't this be a great day for someone just to be able to say, you know what? I never realized that I needed to believe into Jesus. And I never realized that he could rescue me from my sins. You want to talk about freedom today? You want to talk about walking out of here today with full freedom in your heart and your life? Believe into, not a church, into Jesus Christ. Believe into him. Activate faith. Put your little faith into his big faith and see big power come into your life. Believing into him. It's kind of like we have the prosecuting attorney. The prosecuting attorney is the devil. And so the devil says, they did it. He does what he does. We did it. And, and we did it. We did it. We sinned. So the prostituting attorney says, they did it. And then our lawyer is the Lord Jesus Christ. However, can I remind you, he's the son of the judge. <laughs> so the prosecuting attorney says, he did it. Freeman did it. He's guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Got that. And I'm waiting for my lawyer because I'm hoping my lawyer can get me off the hook and do a plea deal or something. But when I turn to my lawyer, my lawyer confirms not only did the prosecuting attorney, the devil, say Freeman sinned and he did it. My lawyer says, that's exactly right. I confirm that he did it. I'm going, whoa, 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 wait. But watch this. Because God had a plan before the foundation of the world. That... The devil would be the accuser of the brethren, the prosecuting attorney. But my lawyer, Jesus Christ, says, hey, Freeman did it. I confirmed that. But one day, Freeman put his faith into me. He put his faith into me. Not on me, not in me, but into me. And one day, Freeman put his faith into me. So God, I just say, yes, he did it. He's guilty. But because he put his faith into me, I took care of the payment. And I have acquitted him. He is able to go free. He has freedom in his heart. He has freedom in his shirt. Because Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. Watch this. I have a really good friend. I'm going to explain this word to you. Acquittal. I have a really good friend. We've been in ministry together. He's been in jail because he did something that was wrong. You're going to think, well, I didn't know that was a sin or it was wrong. Well, try scalping Florida, Georgia tickets at the stadium. It's a, it's a, it's a, you break the law. Somebody came up to him, tapped him on the shoulder. I won't tell you who it is. And they said, how much would you give me for those tickets? He said, uh, he said, how much would you take for those tickets? He said, 
They put his hands in handcuffs right there. This was years ago. Put him in. Um, it's his old school. It's called a paddy wagon because there was a whole lot of people scalping tickets to the Florida-Georgia game. And then when you go to jail, I, didn't know, I don't know this, but I know it because he told me. You get one call from prison. He didn't want to talk to his mama. He said, I don't talk to my daddy. So his daddy got on the phone. He said, Daddy, bail me out. Get me out of this. Get me out of this. I, 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 didn't know, I didn't know it was breaking the law. I didn't know I broke the law. Can I tell you this morning? It doesn't matter if you don't know you broke the law. You still broke God's law. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You say, you, 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 you keep the Ten Commandments. Listen, the Ten Commandments are a mirror to show you that you can't keep the Ten Commandments. And there's no one here that has kept the Ten Commandments because if you've just broken one thing, you just lied. Now watch this. The Ten Commandments are a mirror to show you you can't keep the law, but when you invite the one who fulfilled the law and who is perfect, then you can say you fulfilled the law when you ask Christ to come in your heart because he fulfilled it to perfection. But my friend was in jail, and uh, his dad got on the phone, and his dad said, let me talk to the, it was the, the bondsman or the jail clerk or something, and he said, uh, he said I want to get my son out, I want to bail him out. He said, don't do it. This is the jail clerk. He said, don't do it. He said, the judge who's going to see him in the morning hates this law. He's going to have a real strong talk to all these guys that are in jail overnight, and he's going to let them go, and he's going to let them go free. If you get him out of jail right now and you bail him out, it will go on his record that he spent time in jail. But if you'll allow the judge to do what you can't do and you wait till the morning, then um, you'll be acqu he'll be acquitted. Sure enough, it happened. He said, Daddy... Get me out of jail. His daddy said, you're spending the night. He said, well, what should I do? He said, thank God you're 6'6", six, six, number one. Number two, sleep with one eye open. <laughs> the next day, they gathered all the criminals from the Florida-Georgia game. This judge talked to him about how it's breaking the law, and he said, however, and whatever he said, and, he stand, and it, he, they were acquitted in that moment, which means... There was nothing could be brought against them. There was no charge that could ever be brought against them. Now, if you think about that in the spiritual realm, Jesus Christ, the prosecuting attorney, says, I've got everything on, Freeman. Jesus, the lawyer, said, you're exactly right. But because he put his faith in me, his past will never be brought up again. And Freeman Tomlin has been acquitted, not because he deserves it, because God chose to love me in my sin. You can be free today. You can be acquitted today. You can lay everything down that you've done and say, God, forgive me. I repent. I, re I turn to you. And the only way I know how to say, save me, I'm saying it today. Look at this. Here's what the text says. Believes in him, the oath of the message, and shall not perish, but have eternal life. Shall not perish. It doesn't say shall not die. Look at the text. As cute as you are, you're going to die in this room. As pretty as you are, you're going to die. As nice as you look today, you are going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But what happens here in this text, it says, shall not perish, which means when you believe into Jesus Christ, you don't live your life in hollowness and nothingness. You live your life in the fullness of who he is, and you shall not perish. In other words, Jesus has rescued you. And then the text says, but have eternal life. Listen to me. You have eternal life right now. You do. You say, I'm going to wait till I die to see if I've got eternal. You've got it right now. You've made your choice. 
You're either on your way to heaven or you're on your way to hell based on what you've done. You say, well, it's not, it's not, it's not whether you have eternal life, it's how you're going to spend the rest of your life. And death is just a doorway into the eternal. So eternal separation from God is a real thing. And people that perish in their sins, that die in their sins, literally are separated from God from all eternity. But that God says, I love you with an everlasting love. And the only way that you will go to hell is if you reject me and you reject my son and you reject the gift that I want to give you. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. The word eternal life is in the present tense. It means right now. You have eternal life right now. It's not something that you get when you die. You can live in the fullness of eternal life right now. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins, you have freedom right now. And you can practice on this side of death what you're going to be doing for all of eternity on that side of death, but you do have eternal life. And you're condemned right now already if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior. You say, I'm going to wait to be condemned. I'm going to wait. No, you're condemned right now because you haven't believed. Jesus is giving the offer of salvation to Nicodemus. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now think about this. Everlasting life, eternal life. Let me close with this. There are two must in the text. Two must in the text. The first must is you must be born again. Everybody in this room will stand before God, who's the judge one day. We will. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. We will stand before God, and we will answer to whether we were born again. You must be born again. That's what the text says. You must be born again. Not join a church. You must be born again. If you want to see Jesus, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to have your sins forgiven, you must be born again. Now look at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, here's the second must, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Let me close with this. Israel was living in rebellion in Numbers 22. God, in his judgment, had released fiery serpents on all of them. And those fiery serpents had bit the people. And they had sent venom into their veins. And they went back into the tent to just die and be satisfied with death. Because they had been a rebellious people. God said to Moses, he said here, he says, here's what I want you to do. You can look it back, I think it's Numbers 21 or 22. He said, Moses, I want you to craft a serpent on the top of this pole. And I want you to get in a position where you craft this serpent on top of this pole. And I want you to stand up and I want you to lift this pole up. And anybody who comes out of their tents and looks at this pole with the serpent lifting up, and it's a picture of the Son of Man being lifted up. That's what he's saying. He said, if you'll tell the people to look on this serpent, they can look and live. And in this passage of Scripture, verse 14, says this, if Jesus be lifted up, if Jesus be lifted up, if you'll just look, and if you'll just look at him and live today eternally, if you'll look at him and if you'll respond to him by faith, and if you'll trust him with your life, he'll save you today. Just look and live. Look at these buildings. No, these are wonderful buildings. We're going to have an envision building that's going to be built by the grace of God and the power of God and the money of God. It's going to be done. As Brother Chuck said, for the glory of God and in honor of our pastor, let's do this thing. But watch this. That building will burn one day. This building will burn one day. 
But only those things that are done for Christ in an eternal perspective, buildings will be done, this whole earth will burn. But listen to me, when you, you won't burn because you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you'll just look at him today, you can live. You can look at him and live. That's what the text says. And even the Son of Man must be lifted up. They should have kept Jesus on the ground. They should have never picked him up from the ground. Because once they lifted him up, he said, I'm going to draw all men to myself. Oh, man. See, the devil should have kept him on the ground. The people should have kept spitting on him. The people should have left him down to die. But as soon as they lifted him up, listen, salvation is free and full for everyone who will look to him and live. It's free to you today. Real quick story and I'm done. We'll pray. There's a little boy who was sent to an orphanage. And he went to an orphanage because his mom couldn't take care of him. His dad had had enough problems with him and they dropped him off at an orphanage. He was so troubled. He went from orphanage to orphanage to orphanage to orphanage. He would get kicked out. Finally, they put him in an orphanage in the country. And they thought, you know, this man is so angry. This young man is angry because he feels rejected. He feels rejected by his own family and his own friends. Listen to me. We live in a nation full of angry young men who feel rejected. But if they can just take their attention from their rejection and put it on the one who was rejected and despised for them, they can have new life too. And they can have their angry hearts turned into forgiving hearts and full hearts. They said one day this little boy was at the orphanage and they saw, his cottage parents saw him going up, climbing into a tree, and there was a hole in the tree, and he would drop a note in the hole in the tree. So one day the cottage parents thought, you know, when he's not looking, we're going to go see what the little note says in the hole. He's doing something. He's writing something and putting it in the tree. And one day the cottage parents, when he was in an area where they couldn't, he couldn't see him, one of them climbed up into the tree, and here's what it said. Dear friends, whoever finds this note, I love you. Listen, Jesus Christ climbed onto a tree, and if you ever doubt God's love, would you reach into that tree and pull out that note? Dear friends, whoever finds this, I love you. Don't ever doubt the love of God that he has for you. Jesus Christ on the tree called Calvary paid it all so that you could have a full life and a fresh life and a forgiving life and a life to where on this side of heaven you can live eternally on this side of heaven waiting for that doorway into all of eternity where you'll spend the rest of your life with him. And all you have to do is receive what has been gifted to you.